From the LA Times studios, you're listening to The Real, your source for all things entertainment. I'm Yvonne Villarreal, filling in for Mark Olson. We're here today to discuss the hubbub over comedian Michelle Wolf's set at the White House Correspondence Center, and I'm joined by some of my colleagues. Introduce yourselves. Greg Braxton, acting TV editor. Chris Martin, I write about TV and pop culture. Lorraine Ali, I'm the television critic. So, I mean, if you didn't know Michelle Wolf's name before this weekend, I think it's safe to say you know her name now. She's been called a hero. She's been called a bully. Her set has been analyzed and criticized. Chris, why don't you talk to us about who Michelle Wolf is? She's a bit of a rising star on the comedy scene. She's following the path that a lot of comics and correspondence dinners hosts have, which started at The Daily Show a number of years ago, broke out from there, and last year released an HBO special called Nice Lady. And it's great. It's still available to stream. And depending on how you felt about her correspondence dinner performance, the stand-up set is right in that vein. She also is going to break out to another level where she has a Netflix talk show coming at the end of May, and that's called The Break. And so if she wasn't having a moment up to then, she certainly is now. Had you guys known about her prior to this? Oh, yeah. She's made several appearances on The Daily Show, and she's just got kind of that real edgy, barbed humor, probably a lot more politically edged. But I think she's great, but it's not nice humor. I mean, Nice Lady was sort of an ironic title. Mm -hmm what she really is. I mean, I knew about her peripherally, but I loved it during that set when she like got into, I don't know, one of like the third joke where people were like, ooh, hmm, I don't know if I should <laughs> laugh. And she's like, somebody didn't do their homework when they booked yes, me. And yeah. I was like, yep. <laughs> Chris, I mean, you were sort of tasked to watch this. I mean, I don't know if you guys were watching C-SPAN otherwise, aside from Chris, but talk a little bit about what you heard and what it was like for you in the moment watching it. Well, watching the correspondence dinner roast, and it is a roast, I feel like that gets forgotten a lot as far as, like, the people that are judging her performance. These are people who are hired to, basically, there's one night of the year where the big wall separating the media and the politicians they cover gets taken down and everyone can make some jokes at each other's expense. And it's sort of a reminder that we're all people after all. And watching her follow in those footsteps, it was all very in that spirit and as she had said prior to this performance that her audience was not that room. And, and it's a hard room because basically you are going to be making fun of the media, making fun of politicians, all of whom are there, many of whom don't have a sense of humor about it. She came after them and her audience was basically on the other side of the screen where I was sitting. And I thought she did a really good job. The White House Correspondents Association put out a statement, well, the president put out a statement that basically said that Wolf's monologue was not in the spirit of the mission of what they do. And like you said, I mean, this is an event that has come to be known for the roast aspect of it. What did you think of that statement? I was really surprised. It kind of angered me, you know, because I had covered the year before when Hassan Minhaj did it. Maybe he used less curse words, but I mean, he certainly, you know, it was in the same vein. It was a roast, as Chris said. And I thought it's almost like there's this double standard here. Yes, she's a little more raw as a comedian. But I don't think she went far outside the bounds of what's happened at this. And you have to also remember where we are politically right now. You're talking about a year when the president has called people liars outright, has given them nicknames, slippery, slimy, whatever it is. Sarah Sanders, who was there at the dinner and part of the flap over what Michelle had done is several people had criticized her for making fun of Sarah Sanders' looks. 
which I didn't pick that up from it, but that was one of the criticisms. If you want to look back at other comedians in this dinner, and also in general, oh my God, how many people made fun of Sean Spicer's looks? You know, Sue, I was really kind of astounded that they came out and apologized for that. And I just really wonder if that had been somebody else, if that had been Stephen Colbert, would they have done that? Also, it it just seems like a lot of this backlash against Michelle was because people all of a sudden felt sorry for the folks that were being attacked in the room. In past dinners, the presidents have gotten up just like a regular rose. Some, you know, you take barbs at each other so that there's an even handed exchange. Here, nobody fought back because nobody was well, qualified Trump was to. Absent and, again. And, and Trump was absent again. And he certainly could have had the opportunity, if he had wanted to, to take his own humorous shots at the press. So it just seems like all of a sudden, because of who was there, if Sarah Sanders had not been in that room, and Michelle had said that joke, would there have been the reaction that there was? Or if Sarah had gotten an opportunity to go up or Trump had designated someone to say, okay, you respond to whatever, just like a regular roast, whether we would even be having this conversation right now because it would have been more even-handed. When you mentioned the comments that seemed to draw the most ire were the Sarah Sanders portion, and specifically about the smoky eyeshadow coming from burning facts and comparing her to Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale. And people perceived those as commentary on her looks. Did you guys initially take it that way? I did not. I felt these were commentaries on the press secretary's relationship with the truth. And I feel like the Aunt Lydia reference was in the service of this is someone who is an arm of an authoritative regime and basically drawing that parallel with what Sarah Huckabee Sanders does. One line that also was seized upon was where she compared her to a softball coach. That essentially was just this was an abrasive bully of a coach, and that is what Sarah Huckabee Sanders does in her relationship with the media during press briefings. So you have to kind of do some contortions to get to. This is slamming somebody for their looks. I mean, I received many emails from my coverage of the roast A lot of them were fixated on the fact that Michelle Wolf called this person ugly. None of that was in the material, but people are choosing to hear what they would like. It's interesting because I didn't hear that either. I didn't hear that she was making fun of Sarah's looks. But it's interesting. Let's just say she was. Why is that different than making fun of Sean Spicer's looks? And I mean, I get where we are right now. It's a sensitive subject because you can sexualize women. You can say they're not pretty enough. You can say all that. But it's almost like saying women are such delicate flowers. Let's let's protect them. And there's something... They're mothers. Yeah, there's something wrong in that as well. So, I mean, this outcry is, is really kind of fraught with a lot of, I think, double standards that we wouldn't be seeing if this was a male comedian that had been up there. Well, just think of how much Steve Bannon was hit for just for how he looked. I mean, right. Hassan Minaj hit that note a number of times during his performance last year. So. That's right. I mean, I didn't. I mean, he's been compared to a pile of raw hamburger. Come right. on. And then you have the president who comments on people's looks all the time. They're ugly. They're fat. Rosie O'Donnell's a fat, ugly pig. So there also is this double standard. Like, and this. Michelle's a comedian. He's the leader of the free world and saying this either in speech or in tweets all the time. So all of a sudden, a comedian says that 
who would be expected to be edgy, and all of a sudden everyone just goes nuts, which is, I just think, hypocrisy and double standard. On that note, there was something I felt that felt a little disingenuous about Sarah Huckabee Sanders being on the dais. She knew what she was there for. This was not a surprise. She was the proxy. Exactly. She was a representative of the administration at a roast. She was going to get some heat. So for her to respond in that way as if she weren't expecting it or look furious the entire time, I mean, not to say you have to tell somebody how to react to comedy, but she knew the job was dangerous when she took it. So. Plus, if you see her every single day at these hearings and just the attitude of contempt and disdain that just comes across every single day in addressing journalists and basically calling them idiots and stupid for even asking that question and not being responsive to other questions because she has to protect her audience of one. It's also funny that people all of a sudden felt sorry for her when every day she is so contemptuous of them. Well, and, and outright calling people liars. I mean, outright. I'm not even using coded language. When, you know, So she's done some of the very same things that Michelle was doing up there as comedy. Were you surprised by some of the reaction that the set did receive of people in the press sort of feeling sorry? Yeah, it was really interesting because I heard it. You know, I listened. And then something I had to go into for four hours where I just didn't hear anything. I had to block everything out. I came back out and then there was this firestorm and I thought, well, this is crazy. Clearly, this is coming from corners of maybe the administration. It was the press itself, which really surprised me. And I just thought, you know, put on your big girl and big boy pants. This is ridiculous. It seemed like such an overreaction. And also the idea which Chris had brought up, and I think it was Maggie Haberman of The New York Times, had been one of the first to come out and say that Michelle had attacked the looks of Sanders. And it just wasn't correct. And then everybody just sort of, there was a reaction off the reaction off the reaction. And then it just kind of spun itself up into a big tiz. And it really seemed to sort of pull away the veil of some unsavory aspects of the correspondence, dear, to be frank, because, I mean, this is the Twitter era. This is also the era of performative outrage. So a lot of these journalists who cover the White House, they were ultimately trying to be protective of their access. And so they had to react as if this hurt them too. I mean, at least they felt they had to react that way in order to maintain the relationships that they had. I find it strange that of all the years for there to be talk of the end of the White House Correspondence Dinner as it's currently structured, that this would be the year when, I think it was 2006, when Stephen Colbert came at George W. Bush in a way that now is considered this masterful, brave performance of comic satire. But at the time, he caught a lot of heat as well. It's strange that this is the moment that it's being decided that everything's gone too far. Well, talk about Trump's absence, too. I mean, you recently wrote about Comedy Central resurrecting his roast from a few years back. Talk about what his absence meant or how it sort of shaped the reaction. Yeah, that's an interesting tack that I feel like the administration took and I guess how to work with his refusal to be part of this. I mean, there definitely was a time as seen in the roast where Trump seemed to have more of a sense of humor about himself and be a little bit in on the joke and also not minding being part of something like that if it meant greater proximity to fame, celebrity and prominence for his brand to be generated from it. Whereas now he has become more thin-skinned. He doesn't necessarily, I mean, there is no slight that he doesn't launch against on Twitter at this point. So realistically, what it's, what's happened is when the president is there, there's a greater sort of visible presentation of valor of like, you said this to their face. Whereas without the president there, 
the field can seem tilted a bit where like it's as if you're talking behind their back. I mean, which is strange because that ultimately forces the performer to turn their focus to who is present for that, you know, the weird tacit credit of being brave with it. And unfortunately, it's completely blown up in Michelle Wolf's face. Do you think it was set up that way? I mean, do you think that was... I think that's possible. This administration is very good at stagecraft. They are very good. I mean, realistically, the leader is coming from reality television and knows how to play those angles. I don't think it's a coincidence that for one of the, I think it was only the fourth time that a woman was at the correspondence dinner and their chess move in response wasn't Scott Pruitt. It wasn't any other administration official. It was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And she is going to act angered and outraged. And so suddenly what was emblematic of the Me Too moment we're having in culture where a woman is voicing this critique of the White House is now like, no, no, you're attacking a fellow woman and how dare you? And then everything spirals from there, it seems. Of course, if Trump had been there, then his wife would have had to have been there too. And then that would have opened up to porn stars and being the target of investigations. It's easier to have a sense of humor when you're not under this kind of constant attack and under all these shadows. And he's not going to sit there on a stage and subject himself to being questioned about possible impeachment or sleeping with porn stars or or Playboy bunnies and have his wife also go through that indignity. So is he justified in not attending this and not providing, you know, being that kind of target? Well, all this has brought sort of renewed attention to what this gala really is, what its purpose is. Do we need this? What are your thoughts on its sort of role? Its role is really questionable now because things have changed so dramatically, the relationship between the White House and the press. I mean, if you think about what the last year has been, we've got the president and an administration and his media arm, which is often Fox News, calling the press fake, calling the news fake, saying these mainstream media outlets like the New York Times or CNN are liars, are making things up. And it's been an attack on the press that's dangerous. And we're not just talking the Trump, the fun Trump from reality TV that wants ratings. It's dangerous. And so when you start to look at the correspondence dinner, which, as you pointed out, Chris, earlier, is supposed to be this moment when the press and the White House come together I don't know how you can have that now in this climate without there being some kind of, I wouldn't call this a disaster, but some kind of massive rift like this where it just can't serve that same purpose, I think, that it initially set out to serve. And, you know, another thing is that many of the journalists who have come out and said that, you know, they were appalled by Michelle's set. And you bring up the point that maybe they were talking, you know, they're concerned about access. That's really worrying that that would be the reaction from journalists who are being attacked by this administration and sideline and, you know, possibly put in danger at times, being concerned about access and therefore almost reacting in that way towards the comedian. And also on that point, I mean, everyone's concentrating on poor Sarah being hurt, but Michelle really scorched the press, too. And there's been relatively little attention paid to that. And she had some really, I thought, scathing remarks to talk about the press, too. And for some reason, that's not being the subject of of all this controversy. It's all about poor Sarah and Trump instead of people 
saying, yeah, maybe we have been, you know, less than diligent in our approach and in our reporting toward Trump because we did, after all, it can't be denied, create this monster. Well, I mean, and another thing that hasn't been brought up a lot is that many of her jokes were, some of them were about tampons. She used, I don't know if we can say this, but she used the P word, which Trump had used in that Access Hollywood tape several times and in very personal ways that only a woman could get up there and say. And you know that made people uncomfortable, but that was that is not the thing they're talking about. That certainly has not been done at this dinner before. And I feel that does play a role. I mean, we were talking about Hassan Minaj last year and like, well, what is the difference between all of these performers that have said similarly barbed things at the Correspondence Center, but Michelle Wolf is getting hit hard? What, is, what makes her different? And it's, it's obvious. Well, and she spoke to Terry Gross Tuesday on Fresh Air, and Terry asked her, you know, do you have any regrets about how it all played out? And she said, I wouldn't change a single word that I said. I'm very happy with what I said, and I'm glad I stuck to my guns. Talk about why that standing by that set when with all this pressure she could have very easily said I apologize or I wish I could have done things differently. I think being the type of comedian that she is that her stuff is strong that her viewpoint is sometimes raw. I'm glad she did that. I'm glad she said that and I think it's in keeping with who she is as a comedian who she is as a brand. I think if she had backed down that would have been a dangerous thing. I think it would have signaled some sort of shutting down and censoring who's up there and the type of things that you can say and can't say and who's allowed to say them. Well, the administration can say this kind of stuff. A comedian can't. Where are we if that's the case? Talk about the function of having a comedian there to sort of say the things that maybe other people can't say. Yeah, it's a we are at a strange time with the Correspondence Dinner, obviously. And on one hand, going forward, you don't want this to be the moment that kills that element of it. Because not just from a platform, from an entertainment standpoint of like, oh, it's late night comedy has evolved to the point where like political humor is not hard to find. But it's still a single 20 minute plus platform for someone to take their shots. And it also does say something very pleasant of just the collegial nature of just like we can leave our swords at the door and just have the media and politicians laugh. You don't want to believe that that isn't possible any longer. And you also don't want to believe that the media is happy to no longer have a comic risk offending the beat they cover and essentially cave to their will. Because the first thing that Trump said in response to all this, cancel the dinner, And lo, the media is now considering at least changing how it approaches it. And getting back to your point about how Michelle Wolf has responded to all this, I mean, that was, as you said, Lorraine, the only response. She had to borrow language we use, stand by her story. The unfortunate thing is that the Correspondents Association chose very quickly, I think it was the same evening that this happened, to not stand by that story, to say she went too far and claim ignorance of just what who Michelle Wolf was when they booked her, who she is as a comic and suddenly distance themselves from it. And I think the question going forward is, if the Correspondence Dinner continues to have a comedian, what comedian would want that job, and what kind of comedy would be accepted? You could always have Rich Little. (laughs) (laughs) Like you had last year. I mean, if if you want to go or, or just have a juggling act. 
What about the sort of reaction from the comedy world? We saw people like Kathy Griffin respond to it. We saw Roseanne Barr respond to it. What was your sense of that? Yeah, the uh, comedy world, for the most part, circled the wagons very well. I mean, Michelle Wolf took what is a very tough job. For a roast, you basically are coming up with the best zingers about a person and saying them to their face in the case of who was on hand and, you know, in the case of the president, it's the most powerful person in the free world. So most of the comedy world understood this was what had to be done and that Michelle Wolf was going to get heat and she, she has taken it very well. Roseanne is another matter. Roseanne responded that night in a tweet essentially saying the first rule of comedy is don't pick on a person in the room more famous than you. You will immediately lose the crowd. And once again, to be fair... <laughs> Comedy responded in kind of just, that is the opposite of what you do. That is where the court gesture came from, is making fun of the king. And there is no comedy if you have a deference to authority. It was at least inspiring that many people were retweeting Roseanne's response and just like emphasizing the wrong note she was striking in this. And what that says about where her comedy is at right now. How would you compare what Michelle did to what Kathy Griffin did? With the severed head. <laughs> well, Michelle was missing a visual aid. And <laughs> <laughs> realistically, I mean, what Michelle did, and she is getting the similar kind of blowback as Kathy Griffin did. I mean, while Kathy Griffin, I think it was said she heard from the Secret Service on that note. I mean, it wasn't a most sophisticated brand of satire. But Michelle was hired to do she a was job. Hi- she was hired to tell jokes and... She was hired to lead a roast. She did both of those things. She did her job. She earned her money. It's just really unfortunate that she's getting hit so hard for meeting all of those conditions. Well, and she didn't bring a diaper genie as a prop, so (laughs) you can give her that. (laughs) Maybe this was just a big, like, Netflix-like marketing campaign. Well, that's the other thing, that whoever wasn't aware of her Netflix show is now keenly aware. Her audience is probably quadrupled from what it normally would have been. It's all gold for her, which is another reason why she couldn't back down from what she said, because it's that roast and whatever she does from now until the premiere of that show is all about marketing and getting eyeballs. It really did wonders for Hassan Minaj. He's got a series coming as well, I think, and he had a stand-up special on Netflix. I mean, from a career standpoint, there's definitely a boost, but you got to weather a storm, particularly like whatever comic comes next. It's it's interesting because Trump, he's so great at giving ratings to those who rip him down and his, well, his own ratings are completely flagging. I'm sure he's really happy about that. So the pressure's on for whoever's next if they continue with a comic. Rich Little. It's sort of Tried a no-win truth. situation. I think despite the benefit that Michelle is reaping now, I think comics are just going to say, I just can't win in the short term. What is the point of going through this for a month or so? Unless you're just all you care about is name recognition. No major name is ever going to do this thing because of this. Well, and you have to think that because of that, any comic would be right to suspect that the Correspondence Association would give them guidelines and set boundaries for where they could go. What comic wants to work under those conditions? Right. And this is why this gig is usually for up and coming comics, right? Isn't it? Definitely comics that are on the rise. Like Colbert definitely was a presence when he performed in 2006. Hassan Minaj had his own sort of audience in last year, although he did make the joke at the beginning of his set, no one wanted to do this gig. And he didn't know how right he was going to be two years later. Like, throw it to the Muslim. That was his next line. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, I think that's where we'll have to end things. Um, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? Lorraine Ollie on Twitter. 
And I am on Twitter at Chris Barton, C-H-R-I-S. And I'm on Twitter at G-E Braxton. Thank you for listening and be sure to download us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite listening. Subscribe, rate us, and leave your feedback. See you next time on The Real.